Hey church, happy Easter. I'm so excited to be spending this Easter with you. <laughs> I'm just kidding, uh, but I missed you guys. I'm really happy you guys are tuning in and joining us this Easter. Uh, we may not be one in body right now, but we are one in the spirit. So come on, make sure you're commenting down below, talking with us throughout the message. And uh, hey, go ahead and just share, like, subscribe, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, we really appreciate it. And I'm so excited and so honored that you would join us for this Easter message. Um, you know, any of you who knows, uh, what Easter is, is the celebration of all of Christianity. We come together as one and celebrate the fact that Jesus has died, was resurrected, and that the tomb is empty. Uh, just Friday is what we call Good Friday, which is the day where we remember that Jesus Christ was crucified for us. And then we jump forward, and now we're at today with Easter, where we're celebrating that he is risen, that he is alive, and that he is well. And so that now we find new life in him. And so that's what I want to talk about today. We are still in the middle of our three pillar series. I don't even have to pause it to talk about this. Um, we are in the middle of our first pillar, which is just our relationship between us and God. And our entire relationship is perpetuated by one moment in all of history. That is the cross and that is the resurrection. This weekend, what we're celebrating today is why we even get to have a relationship with God in the first place. It is why you are born again. It is why you are free and free indeed. It is why you are righteous before God. All this stuff is because our God came and died the death that we were supposed to die, all while living the life that we could never live. Easter is a time to remember, to celebrate, and just be thankful. Guys, uh, be thankful, church. Be thankful for how much God has done for us. And even in the midst of a coronavirus, even in the midst of us being packed in our homes, and maybe we might not have had the best week, know that Jesus took the worst week possible for us and know that that we know that we're going to overcome this just like we overcome everything else because our God is with us our God is in control and baby our God favors us <laughs> amen um our three pillars are our relationship with God, our relationship with our local church body, and evangelizing or reaching out to the lost. Uh, this is our last month of spending time on the first pillar, which we've been calling first love. And so today I want to title this message, The Intervention, uh, that we were born and destined for hell. I know that's not always the most exciting thing to hear, uh, but we absolutely were born separate from God. We were born, as the Bible calls it, children of wrath. And yet Jesus Christ, because of Easter, because of his resurrection, he intervened on our behalf and gave us the option, ability, and a position in heaven that we can be children of God and we can be accepted by our Heavenly Father. It's a time to give God a shout. It's a time to give God a praise. But I want to actually backpedal just a little bit, and I want to tell a story that is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, it is a very famous story of Jesus healing the man with a lame hand. The man's the hand is paralyzed and Jesus heals it on the Sabbath. A time that they say you can't do works and yet Jesus is out doing the will of his father. Um, I believe that section of scripture is very prophetic and it is a forward picture to what Easter is all about. So I want to read the scripture. We're going to pray. We're going to talk about Jesus and we're going to celebrate. Amen. Um, one more thing and I'll mention it again at the end. Um, after this message, um, in about five minutes, once it ends, I'm going to actually hop onto live and just uh, talk to you guys back and forth from my, my desk. 
uh, so I can answer any mess any questions you have about the message. Pray with people who need prayer, and we're probably actually going to make this a habit of something we do every week. Uh, just looking for any opportunity we can to actually spend time with you, not just give you a message, but pour into you, talk with you personally, know that you're significant, know that you matter, and the reason you mean so much to me and to this church is because our God loves you so much that because we love him, we love everything that he loves, and that includes you. And I'm going to read this section of scripture and show you a time where a religious group of people, a very legalistic group of people, were rejecting a man and trying to deny him a miracle. But Jesus didn't care, and Jesus made a way, and Jesus intervened. Luke chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. If you got your Bibles, read it with me. I'm reading out of the ESV version. You can read out of any version you want, uh, but the ESV version, Christina's going to bring it to your face. Uh, so I hope, at least if you don't have a Bible, we brought you a Bible, but I didn't bring you a notebook. So hopefully you're taking notes, writing out your nuggets, and really letting this change your life uh, because we know that our lives are radically changed by the truth of who God is and by the revelation found in his word. And I pray that today's message would be found with revelation for you. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. On another Sabbath, he entered, he is Jesus, he entered the synagogue, the synagogue, awesome, starting off great, the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. Now, if you read uh, Matthew and Mark, they mention the same story, but they don't specify his right hand. It's actually why I chose Luke, because we're going to talk about the right hand a lot today. Um, his right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. They know. Here's the thing. Here's the beautiful thing. The Pharisees know the character of Jesus already. They know he's someone who won't let someone in pain walk by him. They already know he's someone who will absolutely go out of his way to help those in need. And so they're sitting back and they're waiting. And they're waiting for their opportunity to bring him down because they know his character. Can you imagine that? Uh, something I've mentioned before, if you go into the Old Testament, you see that uh, they used to pass laws telling Christians they couldn't pray. And they would pass those laws so that they could catch Christians praying anyway and try to kill them, like you see with Daniel in the lion's den. Where in modern days, we see that when they pass laws or things to try to stop the church, usually the church steps back and lets the government control or lets whatever the people around them control. Here's something I'll say. Um, I think the church needs to be so known as being such strong followers of God that people already know when a situation arises, this is how the church is going to act. Amen. Oh, these people are hungry. You just watch. The church is going to show up. Amen. I think that kind of consistency is so key. And we see right here, the enemy is trying to bring down Jesus and they're doing it because they know the content of his character because Jesus is so consistent. That's not what I wanted to preach about, but it's a free nugget just for you. Uh, so they to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? So he's, he's putting it back on them, right? He knows they're just trying to trap him. And he's looking at them and asking them to check their hearts. Really? The Sabbath is helping someone and doing right. Is that really what God, does God really hate that I'm about to help this person right now? Or do you hate it? He's asking, he's challenging them. Um, 
And after looking at them, he said to them, he said to him, and him is the man with the paralyzed hand, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Can you get an amen for that? Uh, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that you intervened on our behalf. I thank you, Lord, that like the man with the withered hand, God, that when we were withered and when we were far away from you, Father God, you stretched out your hand and you touched us, God. I thank you that we follow you, Jesus, not the God who stood far away and said, come and find me, but the God who saw that we would never find you. And so you came and made a way, Father God. I thank you that when only love could have made a way, that you came and made that way, Father God. I thank you that there is a bridge built between us and God by your blood, Jesus. I thank you that you've made a way, and I thank you that because of you, we get to walk freely to our Father. God, I pray today we'd be encouraged, we'd be excited, and we'd be built up by this word, God, and what you're speaking through it. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. I'm going to take a drink of water, and then we're going to talk. <clears throat> all right. Uh, intervention is what we're calling this message. Uh, my nose itches. All right, we're all better. Intervention is what we're calling this message. First love, our first love with God. Listen to me, I've talked about this before. You can only have a relationship with God because God intervened. And I'm sure many of us have stories in our lives of where people and God, separately, people in, intervened in our lives and stopped horrible things from happening to us because they stepped in. When we didn't have a way to stop a situation that was spiraling out of control, a person stepped in for us. Um, I have a lot of stories like that because God has been so good to me and I was a particularly stupid young man. Um, I'm a particularly stupid 20 year old also, which, you know, because I'm 26, that's like old to me. But for some of you, you're offended by that because that's not old to you. Uh, when, when I say, when you say young man or like, oh, back when I was young, you're thinking your 20s. But I'm thinking like, I didn't mean to offend you. I love you. Jesus loves you too. Um, but when I was in high school, I was a particularly dense idiot. And I did a lot of really dumb things. Um, and I hung out with a group. Uh, you know, they, they have a name in modern culture. We, we call them stoners. Um, I hung out with stoners and skaters and druggies. That was kind of my group. Uh, we were, you know, scene kids, emo kids. We had the long hair. We had it straightened. We had really tight skinny jeans with the big fat skate shoes. And we wore the band t-shirts and the skating t-shirts. And we skated everywhere. Um, we also got in trouble a lot. Uh, the cops showed up frequently to our antics. Um, I just, I did a lot of really dumb things and God consistently showed up to me. But one time, um, I was with a group of friends and we were skating and we were skating through and we met up with friends of ours that lived in another town uh, called Dinuba. We called them the Dyna Kids because we were clever. Um, and we all met up and we were skating through Reedley and there was a, a, a small elementary school, like really small, I'm saying like three buildings like little um the portables there was just three of them but it was in a large field and so when we were skating by and the kids that were with us kind of pointed and said hey do you want to skate on the roof of this building now any person whose brain is put together and you know they say that when you're in middle school high school the front part of the frontal lobe of your brain shuts down and so because i didn't have my frontal lobe working like it should i thought Great freaking idea, right? Skating on top of a school, what's the worst that could happen? And so we jumped the fence, we broke the law, we went up, we got on top of the school, and we started skating. 
we started jumping between the buildings and almost falling multiple times. And every time we almost fell, we laughed. Why? Because it was a great freaking idea. And then randomly, one of the kids looked to us and said, hey guys, do you want to tag up this elementary school? And I, we looked at him and I was like, that's a great freaking idea. And so we jumped at the idea and we started tagging. We wrote poop across the wall. Uh, we turned all of the fire alarms, made them look like monsters and stuff. And, uh, and it was just a great freaking time. And then randomly, uh, we looked up and we noticed there were a lot of cop cars coming. And I thought to myself, we should probably leave. But another friend that was with us said, hey, I don't think that's for us, let's just keep skating. And we all looked at him and we're like, great freaking idea. And so we just kept skating and got completely surrounded by police officers at every exit. And we looked and they, with a large megaphone, someone said, come down and come over here. And so now I'm panicking um, because I, I just don't want my dad to find out or my mom, I don't wanna get in trouble. Right, because you know we're all tough until we get in trouble, and then it's like, oh my God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in trouble. Like you know, we're a tough, tough middle schoolers, high schoolers. We're just real tough until mom and dad gets involved, and we're not so tough anymore. And so we're walking towards the cops. We climb down the building, and my friend Josh, who love you, brother. I don't think you're listening, uh, but Josh and Jared were like my two best friends in uh, high school. Um, when I lived in California and we went everywhere together. And so Josh looked over to us and he said, dude, I don't think they're gonna recognize us. We should just run. And this is one of the best moments of my life because two things happened. One, my first thought, great freaking idea. We'll dip out, they'll never catch us. The second idea, as Josh is looking around, I kid you not, here's what the cops said. Joshua Pardo, which is his name. They said, Josh, we see you, get your butt over here and it was like, Thanks, Josh, right? And so Josh goes, crap, I have to get rid of because he had what we were tagging with. And so he threw it like this. It flew, it hit a tree bush, rolled and came right back to our feet in front of the cop. Hilarious, great times. In the moment, I was looking at that like, this is the worst thing that has ever happened to me. In hindsight, I'm so glad it happened because it's hilarious. But we're standing in front of the cops and the cops sit us down and they cuff us on the side of the road. And um, the cop said, call your parents, right? And uh, I'll never forget something interesting. Well, well, one thing, they said, call your parents, but they said to our friend Josh, Josh, go home, I'll call your sister later. Hilarious. I don't know what was going on with that. Kid was in trouble a lot. Love my boy. Um, but um, so the rest of us are sitting there and the cops are cuffing people, putting people in cars. And I called my mom and here's a, a moment, something unique that happened in, in my life. Um, it was in that moment I realized not all people are made equal. Um, I know that when we are born in the world, uh, things can be so different than when Jesus comes in. Um, but my mom showed up and picked me up. Uh, but with a lot of those kids, their parents didn't come and get them. Um, it was kind of a sad moment. My mom came, she was crying, she was bawling. The cop let me go. They didn't even take my name. They just let me drive off, right? And later I found out some of those kids actually ended up in juvie. A few of them, their parents never picked them up and they got adopted and they were like 15 years old. Um, but what happened was the difference between me and every other kid sitting, well actually except for Jared. Jared who was with me, his dad was the youth pastor in the town. He was very angry. Jared got very grounded, uh, but his dad also showed up too. Uh, but a lot of the kids got taken away. And I realized that for like me and Jared, the big difference between us and them was someone intervened for us. If no one had come and picked us up, what would have happened to us? Where would we have been put and where would we have been taken? 
I don't need to know the answer to that because my mom came and intervened for me. Jared's dad came and intervened for him. But some of those kids ended up in juvie. Their parents just didn't come over. Some of those kids, again, they ended up in adoption. Where were their parents? They didn't show up. There was no one that intervened on their behalf. And know that that is one of the most beautiful aspects of Christianity is that we serve a God regardless of who your parents are, regardless of your history or where you came from, and regardless of your life. Even those kids that's parents didn't come intervene for them, their God, whether they believe in him or not, has intervened for them. We believe in a God that came in when we had no way out, when we were chained and shackled in our sins. That's the one. I hit this every time. Um, we were chained and shackled in our sins and we were just waiting punishment and god oh that was a good verb god just like my mother god showed up got us out of the chains and he takes us home and i think something really beautiful about that story that we read um it really lines us up together and we see a man with a paralyzed hand he's sitting in the temple which is supposed to represent the presence of God. He's sitting around holy men that are supposed to believe that God does miracles, and they're there making sure a miracle doesn't happen. And yet Jesus looks at the situation, and he does not care. Jesus shows up, and he intervenes on behalf of this man, this man whose hand is withered, this man whose hand I believe. Now, here's what I'm going to say. Let me just preface this. The points I have to talk about today, they're incredibly biblical and supported by scripture. This next thing I'm about to say, I believe is a prophetic statement by God. And if you don't agree with it, that's actually okay. Just take the rest of the message. But I actually believe in this moment, Jesus is being prophetic. I think that just like this man's right hand that was withered, when Jesus touched it and it came back to life, I think there's a statement being made. And I think God is prophetically showing his people that the right hand of fellowship between God and his people is being brought back to life. I believe it's why it's in three of the, it's in all three of the synoptic gospels. I believe why every person who wrote about the story thought it was so important to mention because we see Jesus showing them you're misunderstanding the Sabbath and you're stopping a man from being healed and guess what? I am here and I'm restoring fellowship between you and between God. And know that that is what Easter, again, is all about. When Jesus resurrected, he made a way for us. And that way leads right to the throne, right to the right hand of God, where God's hand is extended out, and he grabs us and grips us in relationship. And the right hand of relationship is reestablished between man and God because of Easter. And so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how many times the Bible shows us what God's right hand symbolizes and what's God right hand, what it right hand even means. And then I want to show you that in scripture, it shows us that everything that the right hand symbolizes, all those things have been given to Christians. And I believe there is something prophetically being taught there that God's right hand of fellowship has established more than just I love you. It's established position. It's established power. It's established relationship. It's established identity. It's established confidence in us. And I want to give you just three things. By the way, the right hand in ancient times means so much. I want to give you three examples and hopefully send you on your own little study of all the things that God gave you freely because of the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. Amen? Can I get an amen? Oh, you in the back? Okay. Um, first thing God gave us is he established his right hand of power. Uh, I want to show you something. In Exodus 
chapter 15, verse 6, it says this, your right hand, right hand, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Uh, that our God is a God who is in control. Our God is a God who is mighty. That there is no enemy that can come against us or against our God. And God's right hand, on top of meaning fellowship, it also means power. And here's something so beautiful. Did you know that the power in God's right hand has been given to you as well? In 2 Timothy verse chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Do you know that when Jesus Christ died for us and was resurrected and we accept him, we are filled by his Holy Spirit and our spirit man is brought back to life. We are no longer dead in our trespasses and our sins, but get this, we are given power over death, hell, and the grave. We are given power to say no to sin. We are given power to reach out to the lost. We are given power to preach, power to prophesy, power to pray, and power to know that God is with us and we have absolute authority in most situations we find ourselves in because the God that's alive in us has freely given the power that's in his right hand to us. That spirit that fills you, it gives you power. I know I said it, but I want to repeat this. That power, listen to me, it gives you the right to say no to sin. So many Christians say, I have this sin, I can't let, God, how do I break free of this sin? I don't, you already have the power that will set you free of sin inside of you. Marked and sealed by the resurrection of his son. Easter is all about that. And as Jesus rose from the grave, so did we. And we're no longer dead to God in our sins, but we are alive in him and we have the power to say no to sin. We have the power that when we preach, men and women will get saved. How often do we go out and tell people, Jesus loves you. Did you know that when you speak those words, the power of God supports you? The power of God is behind you? You feel like, oh, I don't really believe in that big spiritual warfare stuff. I don't believe there's demons under every corner. I do believe demons are out there and they exist, but I believe we have absolute authority over them. I believe those of you who are sick and say there's a demon, cast it out. Why? Because God gave us the fullness of his power. No more, oh my God, I, I'm having terrible nightmares. How do I get rid of it? Speak to those nightmares. You say, in the name of Jesus, flee. And you begin to talk about it. And if God wakes you up after a nightmare, don't sit there scared all night. Get on your knees and begin to pray because God is powerful and he is strong. And that power is so instilled in you because of the resurrection of his son. Because God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power. Not a spirit of fear, but power. Amen. Secondly, um, the right hand of righteousness. Um, Psalms chapter 48, verse 10 says this, as your name, O God, so your praises reach the ends of the earth, your right hand is filled with righteousness. You know what righteousness means? It means right standing. What that Bible is basically telling us, when the Bible says that God is righteous, it's saying that he is always in the position of being correct. He is always in the position of being right. He's always in the position of being sinless. He's always in the position of being holy. He's always in the position of being above. He's always in the position of being set apart. God is so much bigger and grander and above all of our issues, all of these day-to-day -day things. God is not only above them, but he gets involved in them on our behalf. God's 
righteousness is a statement of his right standing, that God and truth are always coinciding, that God and truth are always together. And here's why that's so beautiful. 2 Corinthians verse chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake he made him, he is God and him is Jesus. So for our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That same righteousness that is in your hand, sorry, that's in God's hand. When Jesus Christ was made sin on our behalf, that righteousness was given to us. And not only are we, we're the righteousness of God. Think about that. I am the righteousness of God. That means I'm always in right standing with God. That means no matter how much I sin, no matter how much I fall short, no matter how much I'm tempted, no matter how much I I slip into fear, or when I let moments get the better of me and my anxiety and my fears and my doubts and my worries and my pride, when it all tries to overwhelm me, I am still in righteous, right standing with God. Guys, righteousness is an identity. Righteousness is why you're beloved. Righteousness is why you're a friend to God. Righteousness is why you're the bride of Christ. Righteousness is why you're a child of God. Righteousness is why you're welcome into his throne room for all of the days of your life. Righteousness is why Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you that may, when you come to me, you'll have a place to stay specifically set apart just for you. That is all because you are the righteousness of God and all of your righteousness is based off of Jesus and not yourself. And so if you do things or live or have a moment where you're not righteous, guess what? You're righteous anyway, because our righteousness is based on the empty tomb, and it's not based off of the sins that fill your life. However, because of that empty tomb, and because of the power God's placed in us, that righteousness isn't just something we have in title. It's something we have the authority and the power to walk in every day. Those sins, again, I want to bring this back up again, those things in your life that you feel like hold you back, that it just seems like you're stuck in a cycle, or why can't I break out of this? You can God already made a way. He already positioned you for that breakthrough. Trust him. Pray to him. Get prayer from each other. Talk with each other. Interact with each other. Trust that God is in control. And don't let your problems become so big to you that it makes God shrink in your eyes. Something I've told our church a lot, and I want to say again, it's time to stop telling God how big our problems are. And it's time to start telling our problems how big our God is. Is your husband stepping out? that doesn't affect the fact that you were in right standing with God. Do you feel like God hates you because you had a rough life and how could God possibly care about me? Listen, you can't blame a sinful world on God. And when you come to God, he actually, in the middle of your situation, in the middle of your storm, he comes and shows you the simple truth that you're significant, that you matter. And it's because the righteousness in his right hand was freely given to you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, of God's son. Amen. And my last point, and again, I was trying to go quick. Uh, My last point is the right hand of pleasure. And I'm very excited about this. Um, Psalms 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because you have the power to be free of sin, you're righteous before God. Because you're righteous before God, you're always in the pleasure and approval 
of God. Do you know that the Bible says that all good things come from those from him that is above. Do you know that when, God, when there are blessings that come into your life, the Bible says even if you can look and understand where the blessing came from, it's because the God of heaven and earth made sure it happened for you. God is pleased with you. God loves you. God is satisfied in you just as you should be satisfied in him. That kind of pleasure goes both ways. Did you know that God is pleased with you? In exchange, did you know that you can be pleased and filled with joy in the presence of God. I want to give you one more verse. Psalms 149 verse 4 says this, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. And there's something beautiful about Psalm 149 verse 4 is that's a New Testament verse. Even though it's in the Old Testament, we know there are times in the Psalms where men sang songs to a time in the future. And this is one of those moments that, that, that on this moment that, that the singer is definitely talking about salvation in Israel, but he doesn't even realize that he's being anointed to speak a prophetic word that if you believe Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, God is pleased with you and he has adorned you with salvation. That is the proof. The Holy Spirit alive inside of you. The power of God supporting you. You're righteous, right standing with God. This proves that God is pleased with you. And I've met people, and if you're listening to me, please hear me. I have met people who have said, I believe God loves you guys, but God doesn't love me. And I gotta tell you, that is just not how it works. God loves you so much. And the proof is in this simple fact. He sent his son to die for you. And sometimes we look at the situations in our life. Why did this person have to die? Why did my life end up this way? Why did she cheat on me? Why am I working this job? Why am I in this place? Why do I have this house? Why do I have these friends? Why am I stuck in this position? And I got to tell you, listen, it's, it's because the world is a sinful, broken place without God. And we need him just as much as everyone else around us needs him. But listen, when you come into his presence, you find pleasure even in the middle of those storms. Christians find satisfaction even amongst the chaos. Listen, there's that line where people, there's that famous bishop, I forget his name, dang it, uh, but when he's being burnt at the stake and they tell him, if you deny God, will set you free now. And he announces, I, how could I ever deny a God who never denied me? God is so pleased by you. He so loves you. He so approves of you. And you don't get to lose that because of your actions or your history or your testimony. Because hear me, his pleasure, his approval, it all stems from the blood of his son, which has covered you completely and irrevocably. At this church, we believe a simple truth, once saved, always saved. You don't have the power to lose your salvation because God has sealed you with his approval and his pleasure. And as he has given you the right hand of fellowship, what you have found is power, what you have found is the pleasure of God, and what you have found is righteous right standing with him. And like I said, listen, for some of us who say, I don't feel pleased in God, I, I want to read you something that St. Augustine said. I've quoted it a few times when I've preached before. It's one of my favorite quotes in all of history. And he says, um, you stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. 
I think for some of us, we don't really understand or grip the fullness of salvation. We don't feel that God is pleased with us and we're not satisfied in our day-to-day -day life. And I think St. Augustine actually hit the nail right on the head when he said that we're restless. We are so not filled with pleasure until we learn to rest in you. Guys, that's what this Easter season is all about. Rest in the truth of who God is. Quit trying to earn your right standing with God. Look, there is no prince that has ever been born that earned his right to the throne. He got it by nature of his birth. And we serve a God who is all about the fact that he is a king. And so we are his children and we have access to things, not because of who we are, of what we've done, but because of who God is and what he has done. God is pleased with you. And if you don't find that same pleasure back, I think maybe you're working too hard or you're too apathetic to the truth. And I would encourage you, just like Mary, just before Jesus was going to go and get crucified, as she was crying at his feet and anointing him with oil. And then Jesus said this, when the people started questioning him, he said, those who have been forgiven much, love much. And it's not that God had forgiven her of more than he'd forgiven other people. It's that she had a better understanding of just how much God loved her and just how forgiven that she was. And so that translated into her understanding her position with God more. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Understand where you've come from. Understand that one sin made us worthy of hell and that God interceded on our behalf, gave us the right hand of fellowship and made a way. Please let us never grow weary in that truth that I am beloved, that God is pleased with me. And as we talk about intervention, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the cross because that's when it all happened. Um, Golgotha is where Jesus died. We call it Calvary. Uh, Golgotha is Aramaic, I believe, and Calvary is Latin. It's the same phrase. It means the same thing. It's just different languages. So when people say Golgotha, when they say Skull Hill, when they say Calvary, everyone's right, doesn't matter. But the reason they call it Skull Hill is that they believe that David took and on that hill he buried the skull of Goliath. And people who don't even know the Bible, we know the story of David and Goliath. David swung that sling and he hit that, that Goliath in the middle of the head with a rock. And as he died, David came and took his sword and cut his own head off. And they believe that on this hill where Jesus was, was buried, on this hill, where, not where, David, where, where Goliath's head was buried, they believe this is the same hill that Jesus was crucified on. They call it Skull Hill. And there's a prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 that prophesies that Jesus will crush the head of the enemy while his heel is bruised. And I want you to know that while Jesus is laying on his back on a cross and his hands are being pierced for you, it looks like defeat. It looks like Jesus lost. It looks like the end. And then as the cross is lifted, the cross pierces into Skull Hill, and the very weapon that was used to kill God actually ended up being something that just bruised his heel because he's going to come back in three days. But it crushed the head of the enemy. And as the cross pierced Skull Hill, so did God trample the head of the serpent, just like that prophecy came to pass. And just like when we accept Jesus, that cross, it pierces our mind as well. And we begin to think and look to things of God. The cross is such a moment of triumph because that weapon, the weapon meant to destroy me, was the very weapon God used to destroy the enemy. And as Jesus pierces the head of the devil, and as his heel gets bruised, three days later he resurrects and when he resurrects his spirit falls upon men that's us his spirit falls upon women that's us he offers a hand of relationship and fellowship 
that can never be taken away, that can never be revoked, that changes who I am on a personal, intimate, and spiritual level. And I rise again, not as someone who's far from God, but someone who's close. Not as someone who's weak with a withered hand, but as someone who has power. Not someone whose hand is holds back in shyness because I don't think God loves me, but actually it's a man whose hand goes out strong and powerful because God is pleased with me and I am in right standing with him forever and for always and I cannot lose it. I cannot take it away and God in his love will never let you lose it and he will never take it away for it was his joy and his pleasure to pour it upon you. Church, I pray that you're encouraged. I pray that you really take hold of this and walk in the power that God has given you. Walk in the righteousness that God has given you and walk in the position of knowing God is pleased with me. And so in return, I take pleasure in him. I'm going to pray. And once I pray, I'm going to jump on live in probably five minutes. Just let me uh, wet my hair. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, And I'm just going to take any questions, talk with you guys. Even if you don't have questions, please jump on. I just want to hang out with you guys for a little bit. Maybe 15 to 30 minutes. We'll just see how it goes. Um, But I love you guys. And I really pray this pierces into your hearts and into your minds and not to beat a dead horse. But I pray that this pierces you just like the cross pierced the hill on Calvary. Sorry, on Skull Hill, because that's more applicable. Uh, Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person in the sound of my voice. Uh, God, I thank you for Easter. I thank you that you're born again. Sorry, I thank you that we're born again because of you. I thank you that you are the first of the resurrection of the dead. And as we resurrect with you, we resurrect with power. We resurrect with righteousness. And we resurrect with your approval, Father God. I thank you because you're good. I thank you because you're gracious. And God, I pray that these words don't fall upon deaf ears, but these words fall upon hearts that get changed, that something grows from this, Father God, and that our lives would never be the same again. God, I pray these truths would draw us into the utmost desire to know you on a personal an intimate level. Lord, in your mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Guys, if you do not know Jesus, I pray that you would come and meet him today. Join me on the live stream and talk to me about Jesus and your questions about him. Um, I'm here to talk with you. I love you guys in church. I'm looking forward to talking to you soon. Have a blessed week.